Well, good morning. And he is risen. You know, we are not here by accident today. We are here because God has loved us so much that as we've already been reminded, God came to meet us right where we were, but not leave us in that place. And we're here today to celebrate not just that Jesus was raised from the dead, but that the resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead is offered to you and me so that God can help us to live life more abundantly, life in the way in which God intended. So it's good to be together today. If you're a guest with us today, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm just thrilled that you chose to worship with us this morning on this Easter Sunday. You know, every Sunday is a mini Easter. We gather on the day of the resurrection for a reason, but it's so good to be joined together on this Easter Sunday. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to join me in the Gospel of John. John chapter 20, and we're going to read through uh, several verses this morning. I'd invite you, if you're able to this morning, to, to stand as we read Scripture. Early in the morning of the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, They have taken away the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple left to go to the tomb. They were running together, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and was the first to arrive at the tomb. Bending down to take a look, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Following him, Simon Peter entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. He also saw the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head. It wasn't with the other clothes, but was folded up in its own place. Then the other disciple, the one who arrived at the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. Mary stood outside near the tomb crying. As she cried, she bent down to look into the tomb. She saw two angels dressed in white, seated where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and one at the foot. The angels asked her, woman, why are you crying? She replied, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. As soon as she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't hold on to me, for I haven't yet gone up to my father. Go to my brothers and sisters and tell them I'm going up to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene left and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. Then she told them what he said to her. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say together, thanks be to God. And on this, some of you are jumping ahead of me here. <laughs> and on this Easter Sunday, we share in Mary's proclamation and we say that he is risen. He's risen indeed. Amen. Now you can be seated. 
You know, the last couple of days, my daughter's been working on a, a, a project for her class at school. It's a, it's a project on their homeland. The idea is for them to kind of understand some of where they've come from or where their families come from and the significance that places like a homeland can have on, on our identity and, and our life and our practice. A couple days ago, she called my mom to, to ask my mom about some of, of our family's history and, and where our family had come from. And my mom shared a little bit, and then my mom shared a story that I know quite well. It's a story about how my grandparents met. They were both students at Oregon State University. I know we've got a few Beavers fans here. They were students at Oregon State, but they didn't meet at Oregon State. They actually met at church. That might give hope to some of you today. <laughs> they met at church while they were at, at Oregon State. There was a, you know, a gathering for, for some of the college students, and my grandfather was there, and my grandmother had transferred into Oregon State after her freshman year, and she was there with her roommate. And her roommate said, Doris, you see that guy over there? You stay away from him because he's mine. Well, my grandpa didn't get the memo. So he walked right by my grandma's roommate and started talking to my grandma. You know, sometime later they, they started dating and sometime later my grandpa was, was walking my grandmother back to campus after a church service. And they were walking together and, and my grandfather said, Doris, do you know what time it is? Now my grandmother, not even thinking about the fact that he had his own watch on, pulled her hand out of her pocket and told him the time. And before she could put her hand back in her pocket, my grandpa grabbed a hold of it. It worked. It worked. I got a picture to prove it. It worked. You know, they, they got married. Uh, you know, there's a lot of other family stories that our family loved to tell. But I think this was one of the favorites of our family. I think the reason it was one of our favorites is because it's a foundation story. I mean, had my grandparents not met, those gatherings, those family gatherings where we retold this story, that never would have happened. If my grandparents hadn't met and hadn't gotten married, none of us would have been here today. It's a foundation story. You know, my guess is, is there are many foundation stories here this morning. Many of us have those stories that we tell time and time again because they give meaning to our lives. They've shaped us. They've, they've formed us. They've, they've made us who we are. You know, this story from John's gospel is one of those stories. It's a foundation story. In fact, I think we could say it's the foundation story. Because Easter changes everything. Easter changes everything. The life-giving power of God has entered into the world and through the resurrected Jesus Christ, we, we catch just a glimpse of the power of God. Did you catch that? The resurrection of Jesus is just a glimpse of the power of God at work in the world around us. You know, we get a little bit of that idea as, as we read through these verses that we just read a few minutes ago. Early on that first day of the week, Early on that Sunday morning, Mary went to the tomb. You know, some of the other Gospels give us reasons for this. John doesn't bother to give us a reason why Mary went to that tomb. 
You know, maybe she'd been rushed in trying to prepare his body for burial and just wanted to make sure that things were done right. Maybe that's why she returned on that Sunday morning was, was to finish some of those responsibilities. Or, or maybe she went that day because she just wasn't ready to let go yet. As I look around today, there's a lot of folks here who over the last year have lost loved ones. We've got folks here today who this last week have lost loved ones. And sometimes, even when we know it's coming, we're just not ready to yet let go yet. Think about how much more so that would have been for Jesus' friends and disciples. I mean, last Sunday, they entered into Jerusalem with crowds shouting out, Hosanna! And then in just a few short days, they saw their beloved one hanging on a cross like a common criminal. Maybe Mary just wasn't ready to let go yet or to say goodbye. You know, we don't really know why. I mean, maybe, maybe there was something deeper. Maybe there was just something in her that drew her to that tomb that morning. And she couldn't even put a finger on it. You know, maybe that's why some of you are here today. Maybe some of you are here today and you don't really have a reason for it. Something just brought you to this place today. Whatever the reason for Mary going to the tomb that day, when she arrived, she realized that things weren't right. She realized that the stone that covered the entrance to the tomb was no longer there. Now, we typically say that the stone was, was rolled away, right? But, but the idea behind this is much more violent than that. <laughs> the idea behind this is that the stone has been dislodged from the track. It's like it's been pushed out by some great force from the inside. That should have been a clue to Mary. But Mary didn't have a framework to understand what it was that she was experiencing there. She couldn't understand the events, and so she knew what had happened. I mean, the only logical explanation for all of this was grave robbers. So she ran back to find some of the disciples. And John tells us that she found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Many people think that was John, <laughs> which is a whole fun thing in and of itself. But we'll not go there today. You know, these two disciples ran to the tomb to try to find out for themselves. And we're told that the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, got there first. And when he got there, that he saw and he believed. I mean, that's a tremendous statement, isn't it? He saw and he believed. But if we continue reading, we realize he saw and he believed, and then he went home. Which doesn't really make a lot of sense, does it? And you know what makes even less sense than that? If we continue reading in John's gospel, we discover that that Sunday evening, Peter and the other disciple and the rest of the disciples gathered together in a room with doors locked because they were afraid. He saw, he believed, and he was afraid. That doesn't make sense, right? <laughs> he failed yet to understand some of the significance. He may have even understood that, that Jesus had conquered death, but he didn't realize the significance or what that meant for himself and for everybody else. They, they failed to understand. In fact, it wasn't until 
the disciples encountered the resurrected Jesus in person, that their lives were radically changed. That they began to experience the significance of that. You know, it just occurs to me that that can be true for us today as well. And we can gather together in a place like this. And we can, we can believe in the truth that Jesus has been raised from the dead. But until we have that personal encounter, we can miss the deep significance of what that means for us and the impact that can have in our lives and the way in which we live our lives out. You see, the reality is, is that the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ opens up the doors to a new possibility. It gives us the opportunity to experience life abundantly. And really what we mean by that is it, it gives us the opportunity to experience and live life the way that life was intended to be lived, not caught up in all of the other things that we face around us. You know, as we, we look at these verses that we read a few minutes ago, Mary comes back to the tomb with these two disciples and she kind of lingers there at the tomb. They've come and seen and gone in and, and left and, and Mary lingers and, and now she notices the grave clothes folded up and, and lying there in the tomb. But she still struggles to understand what that can mean. She still struggles. Her, her mind still doesn't have the framework to understand this significance. And I wonder, how many times do we encounter God working in our midst? And we see it, but we fail to understand what it is that God is really doing. Well, Mary is there, and, and, and she, she, she's in this moment, and, and then Jesus calls her by name. It's when Jesus calls her by name that, that finally she realizes some of the significance of what the resurrection has to mean. And in that moment, Mary tries to, to cling on to Jesus and, and just, you know, she just wants to stay there in that moment. It's like she doesn't want to go back to reality. She just wants to live in that place forever. But Jesus tells her not to hold on to him. That's not why he's come. That's not what this resurrection is all about. The resurrection of Jesus isn't to separate us out from the, the rest of the world. The, the resurrection of Jesus means that Jesus is with us in the midst of life, in the midst of everything that we face and that we encounter. You know, this is the Easter story. This is, this is probably a familiar story to most of us here today, right? And my guess is, most of you, when you got up this morning and you were getting ready for church, you probably weren't thinking, huh, I wonder what the pastor's going to preach on today. <laughs> you probably had a hunch that we were going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus, right? It's because it's one of these, these foundational stories that forms us. But you know, there's importance of having these familiar stories. But if we're not careful, we can easily forget why they became familiar to begin with. What is it about these stories that makes them so important that we have to tell them and tell them again and tell them again and tell them again? You know, some of the rest of John's gospel paints this picture for us of the significance of Jesus. John does this in a lot of different ways. There's one of the ways that John does this is he, he uses the number seven a couple of different times in his gospel. Some of you are familiar with the number seven. 
From a, from a biblical standpoint or a theological standpoint, the number seven represents completion or fullness. We really get that in the beginning of Scripture because God created in six days and on the seventh day God rested. And there's this idea that the purpose of creation was to live in fellowship and rest and communion with God. That's the purpose of creation. We see that on the seventh day. So the idea of seventh kind of communicates this, this understanding of wholeness or completeness. And so if you notice in John's gospel, there are seven different I am statements that Jesus makes about himself. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the way. There's seven of these statements that Jesus makes. But there's another thing too that we see in John's gospel. There are seven different miracles that Jesus performs in John's gospel. These seven signs that reveal to us some of, of the nature of who Jesus is. The first sign was when Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding feast, right? Some of you are familiar with that story. And when we encounter that in chapter 2, John says, this was the first miraculous sign that revealed God's glory. We continue in John's gospel, and by the time we get to chapter 4, we, we see the second example of this. This time, Jesus heals a sick boy. It's an official's boy, and, and Jesus, uh, G, the, the, the father comes and says, my, my son is sick, you know, he, he's, he needs help. And, and Jesus says, go home, he's healed. And that's exactly what happened. And John tells us this was the second sign of God's glory. Now, at this point, John no longer keeps counting for us. John's hoping that we've said, here's the first one, here's the second one. You all understand what we're doing, so keep counting along with me, okay? That's what John is saying to us. So, we continue on, and, and in the very next chapter, Jesus heals a paralyzed man. This was someone who's been sick for 38 years. And Jesus tells him to get up, take your mat, and walk. And he does. So even though John doesn't say it, this is the what? Third sign of God's glory. You know, we, we continue and we go to the next chapter. This time, Jesus is out on, on this hillside and, and many people have come to see them there and to listen to his teaching and it comes time to the end of the day and we're told that there's 5,000 men plus women and children. And the disciples gather together in this huddle and they say, what are we going to do? We're like too far from town and we don't have enough food. There, there was one kid who brought a sack lunch with him. <laughs> that's not enough to share. That's not enough to share with a classroom, let alone that many people. What are we going to do? And I can just imagine this group of disciples gather around it and one little sack lunch in the middle. And then Jesus blesses that meal and they distribute it. And then the next time when the disciples are gathered together, every single one of them is holding a basket of leftovers. So this is now the what? The fourth sign of the glory of God that was revealed through Jesus. You know, we continue a couple more chapters and Jesus heals a blind man, a man who'd been blind from the time he was born. And a lot of people struggled. They're like, well, was it his fault? Was it his parents' fault? Regardless of that, how did this happen? I mean, who can make a blind man see? This is the story when, when these people start questioning the man who's been healed. And the man says, listen, I don't know how to answer all of your questions. 
All I know is that I used to be blind and I encountered Jesus and now I can see. I can't explain how that happened, but I know this happened in my life. And then he says, do you want to know him too? A couple chapters later, Jesus is away and he gets a message from his friends. They say, Lazarus is sick, you need to come quickly. And I don't know if Jesus was busy with other stuff, but he waits a couple of days before he comes. Then they start journeying back and he gets there and we're told that Lazarus has been dead for, for four days. And Jesus says, let's, let's go to the tomb. And so they go out there. He says, okay, I need some of you to roll this stone back. And they're like, Jesus, he's been in the tomb for four days. Are you sure you want us to do that? So yeah. So some of those who are gathered there, they, they, they work together and they, they roll the stone back. And then Jesus speaks and says, Lazarus, come out. And what's it tell us happened? It says he comes on out, right? But he comes out and he's still in his grave clothes. He's still wrapped up and he can't get out of them. So Jesus says, hey, some of you, go set him free. Let him out of those grave clothes. And Lazarus was, was raised from the dead. You know, when some of the religious leaders see this, they know how to count because now we're where? Six miraculous sign. And they say, Jesus can do anything. There is nothing that can stop his power. We've got to do something. And John tells us that it was after the healing of Lazarus that these leaders begin to plot his death. The seventh miracle that we see in John's gospel is on Easter Sunday. The seventh miracle that we see on, in John's gospel is on Easter Sunday. Now, up until this point, we've caught a glimpse of some of the power of God at work through Jesus. Jesus has healed the sick and the paralyzed and the blind. Jesus has fed the, the 5,000. Jesus has even raised Lazarus from the dead. And the idea is that there is nothing that God cannot do. Amen? But it's like all six of these are just the prelude for what is to come. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is unlike any of the rest of these. You know, there's, the reality is, is that when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, nobody had to roll the stone away. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, those who were gathered had to push the stone away. When Christ was raised from the dead, nobody had to roll the stone away. When Christ was raised from the dead, people didn't have to come in and set him free from those grave clothes, right? Do you catch this? You know the other difference? Jesus raised Lazarus, but Jesus was resurrected. And there's a difference. Lazarus lived again but then he would die. Jesus was raised to life and he's still alive. Amen. You know, and, and the idea of the resurrection of those who are dead being raised to life again was supposed to come at the end of time. But now the end of time has been brought into the present time and that signifies that God is doing something very real and very powerful in the midst of this. Did you catch the location of where all of this happened? 
is at a tomb, but, but where was this tomb located? Anyone catch that? Who was it that Mary thought Jesus was at first? A gardener. Where do you find a gardener? In a garden. Some, did somebody say Lowe's? <laughs> you find a gardener in a garden, right? Where else do we read about a garden in Scripture? In the beginning. In the beginning, we see this picture of this garden where, where God was dwelling with God's people and God's creation. But what did people choose to do? They chose to sin and to bring death and brokenness into God's creation. But now we're in a garden once again. And did you notice what day of the week this was? The first day of the week. Where else do we first read about the first day of the week in Scripture? In the beginning. The first day of the week was when God began to create. And here on the first day of the week, we're in a garden once again. Do you realize what God is doing? This is a new creation. This is a new creation. That which has been broken, that which has been harmed, that which has brought death and all of those things into the reality of people, something new is happening now because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Something new is happening. And we've already seen before this in the prelude that Jesus can conquer sickness, that Jesus can meet the needs of people, that Jesus can even raise someone from the dead. And now something even greater and more powerful and more significant than all of that is happening. Amen? Here's the good news of this for us. In the book of Romans, we are told that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is offered to you and me through the Holy Spirit. That the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is offered to us. So I just wonder today, where is it in your life where you need to experience the resurrection power of Jesus? Where is it in your life where you need God's new creation to begin to emerge? Where that which has been broken can be restored? For some of you, that might be for the first time. For some of you, that might just be in for another time, another place where you need to experience that power of God in your life. You know what the invitation from God is? This is for all of you. It's free for you if you would choose to receive his love and grace. Amen? All we have to do is humble ourselves and say, God, I can't do this on my own, but I trust in you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. Let's pray together today. Lord God, as we are gathered on this Easter Sunday, we thank you for your love that we know through Jesus Christ. But God, we also thank you for your grace and mercy that finds us wherever we are but doesn't let us stay in that place. And God, I pray today that each and every one of us who is in this place would know your resurrection power in our lives. That we would experience the new creation that comes from you.
that mends and restores that which is broken so we can be made new. And so God, today we offer ourselves to you. We humbly give ourselves to you and pray that you would do for us what we could not do for ourselves. So God, today we gather here acknowledging that we need you. We need you so that we can experience life the way it was intended to be. And we offer all these things to you today, Lord, in your name. Amen. You know, we came today because we know we live in a world that needs to be transformed. Not in a world that needs to be inspired. <laughs> we live in a world that needs to be transformed. And we can't do that on our own. But the good news is that we don't have to do that on our own. That God wants to do that work within us. And, and Easter Sunday announces that God's transforming power has been let loose in this world. And we believe today that if God's going to transform the world, that God can begin right here in us. In each one of us. This is why today we're going to share in the sacrament of communion. Communion is this simple meal of bread and juice. It's, it's a sacrament. It, it's a way in which through our faithful obedience to Christ, we experience God's grace in our lives. It also comes from a foundation story. Communion comes from the story of, of the Passover, of when God saved Israel from Egypt and set them free. But today we understand communion through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as Christ meets us and sets us free as well. So in just a moment, our ushers are going to come and as the worship team sings, we're going to distribute the elements. And I'd invite you as the, the trays are passed to, to take a, a cup and to take a piece of bread. You don't have to be a member of our church to share in this sacrament today. You just have to come to this place acknowledging that you need God to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. So I invite our, our ushers to come. As they come and as we sing and as these elements are passed, I would just invite you to reflect on where it is in your life where you need the resurrection power of Christ to work, where you need God's new creation to be made known in your life. So I invite you to take the elements as they are passed and hold on to those. And in just a few moments after everyone has been served, we will receive these together. And also, if there's any who are here today who would prefer a a prepackaged element instead of one of these. If you just like want to raise your hand, we have we have some prepackaged elements like this that we would be happy uh, to bring and get to you. Just raise your hand, and someone will get that to you. Till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes. To fulfill the law and prophets, to avert. 
virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty. Aren't you thankful today for the love of God that meets us and that brings God's resurrection power into our lives? Has everybody who wants to be served today had an opportunity to receive the elements?
I'm going to invite you this morning to say with me one of the earliest affirmations of the Christian faith. It goes like this, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Would you say that with me today? Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, today we are so grateful for your love and mercy and grace. Lord, as we prepare to receive these common elements of bread and juice, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, these would be the grace of your body for us, so that through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we not only can be set free from sin, but we can be transformed to the new creation life that comes through the power of your Holy Spirit. And God, just as we pray that these common elements would be your grace for us today, we pray that we in turn would be your grace for a broken world. And so God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, work within us to help us to be reflections of your love and grace to those around us. In your name we pray, amen. Jesus gathered together with his disciples on the same night that he would be betrayed. As they shared in the Passover meal, this reminder of God's saving grace. During the course of that meal, Jesus took the bread and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. Later on in the meal, when it came time to pass the cup, Jesus said, this is my blood which is shed for you, the new covenant. Whenever you eat of the bread or drink of the cup, do so in remembrance of me and always be thankful. Let's drink together. Lord, we thank you today for your grace. God, we thank you for this, the foundation story. And God, we pray that, that we would live into the truth that we've proclaimed today, that as those who've received your love and grace, we would live in such a manner to reveal your love and grace for all the world to see. We ask this in your name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we say our benediction together today. As we go, we acknowledge that we cannot live godly lives in our own strength and power. We need God's grace, and we also need one another. And as we go, may you go in the grace and peace that comes through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Go in his grace and peace today.